You know, we, we need to have a broader set of inclusive policy. It's one thing to say, uh, you know, we'll include you. It implies that I have the power to include you. More importantly, it's can I belong to a community? Can I have a sense of I'm contributing, I'm of value? It drives wives wicked. It makes such a golden brown pot. It must be lots of fun to be a mother. I've got something to apologize for. I wore my good suit because it was plain and neat. Afraid of not knowing what is proper? This yellow fluffo is such a short shortening. Hi, I'm Susan Osman, and this is Been There, Done That, a show about women who are shaping our world experienced, smart, versatile women who are redefining what it means to be a woman in the workplace today. You know I can't work without a good breakfast. All right, class, stop typing, please. All right, class, stop typing, please. This week, I talked to one of these women, Sandra Baer. She works with city leaders and companies to make our communities more livable. She's worked for over 20 companies and is now president of Personal Cities, a company that sets out to enrich cities, improve their image, invest in innovations and improve the quality of our lives. Hi, Sandra. Thanks for joining me. So let's begin with what you're doing now, imagining the city as it will be. What does a profession of finding happiness in a city entail? Finding happiness in a city is really sort of an ambivalent term because we're we're wondering what it takes to be happy in cities, but we're also figuring out that there are certain things that city leaders should be doing to really make cities more robust, more livable, more economically vibrant. And uh, it, it all eventually comes into city, citizen happiness. Really, what is the goal of making a city smarter? Yeah, and how do we make a citizen happy? Exactly. And I think it depends on the city to some extent, but more importantly, it depends on demographic changes, uh, sociological changes. Things are evolving in cities every day of the week. And um, some of the challenges that, that cities are facing today are um, almost insurmountable unless we work with city leaders, the community at large, the public and private sectors, all the academics that are involved with city innovation. I mean, there's a huge collaboration that needs to occur in order to make some of this change happen. Now, I know you've, you've traveled to cities worldwide, and I don't know if you can answer this, but which, in, from your experience, was a happy city? Where would you, <laughs> where would you consider the citizens were happy? Yeah, um, well, I, would, I could pick a couple. I, I think Malaga in Spain is is actually um, happy and innovative. That's interesting. And um, it's a glorious city for several reasons because it's not just a beautiful place. It is next to, on the Costa del Sol of Spain, so it's a beautiful city. But much more than that, it's open for business. They have, I think, some 600 business partners in an industrial park in Malaga. It also has a really smart mayor and a, and a number of really smart staff people, Mark Sanderson being one, who have decided that the city would be more vibrant if it attracted a variety of museums. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so it's only 2 million population, but I think the city has some 30 museums. It's interesting because, in the, especially when I was growing up, the city of Malaga never had a particularly glamorous yes. image. You'd go, right. someone would say, you know, I'm off to Malaga, and you'd think secretly, oh, never mind. <laughs> Pity, <laughs> they couldn't think of somewhere else to go. They imported museums. In other words, oh. they have a they have a Thyssen Bornemesse museum from Madrid. They have a Russian museum from St. Petersburg. I mean, it's, it's very 
very innovative, and other cities could follow that lead. Do you think having museums in a city makes people happy? Do you equate museums with happiness? Uh, I think it's just a part of the mix to be culturally rich and vibrant. Just the culture of yeah, the city. Yeah, the art, the music, everything in a city that is culturally based contributes to happiness because people want a city that they can be proud of, where they can do things and invite friends to join them in doing things. I mean, sports is a part of that. There's a whole uh, panoply of things that are really um, grounded in what does make a city livable. And okay, what, so this is maybe a bit tricky. <laughs> what, what would be the place that's the, the glummest city or the, the, not, oh, the not the worst city, but the name city, them. yeah, the city where you think, <laughs> oh my goodness, I need to te- speak to this mayor immediately <laughs> to get their act together. This is no good. Yeah, well, I, w- without naming cities, I think I think the thing that, that makes Go cities on, not glum <laughs> is safety and security. Ah. If you don't feel safe in a city, it is not a smart city and it is not a good place for you to, no, that's interesting. to live and work and visit. So security is equated with smartness. So if you have of a secure, course. So you have a secure, it's like at the ground level. Because like New York has changed its image enormously over the years in terms of safety. Yes, that's right. You Like 20 years ago, if you're New York, yeah. you'd be looking over your shoulder. That's right. And Beijing, which is a massive city, you know, with like, I don't think there's like 28 million people there. You feel safe. Yes, that's right. And that does make a big difference. That's of course, true. Yeah. And London is a lot safer, funnily enough, of course, than of it course. used to be. Well, and I think it's, it's sort of interesting to look at a variety of cities and understand their uh, the things they're doing to mm. make people feel like this is a safe place to live. Mm, very interesting. So, yeah. So your job really is about finding ways to bring communities together mm-hmm. and help them thrive. Right. So how do you go about finding, are you like a little little bee looking for the, <laughs> looking for the communities? How do you go about finding them? Yeah, well, it, I, I always say that it's very important that the mayor and other city leaders, the chief innovation officer, the chief technology officer, uh, the, the officers in charge of public affairs, that they are aligned. Um, it is the first definition of what it means to, to create a smarter city. Uh, but the top leaders in cities, number one, must have a vision. They must have a vision for as long as they're in office and ideally way beyond that. Mm. Number two, they must have a strategy and it should be in writing. It should be written down so that people can see it and understand what steps are needed to implement that strategy. And the third most important part is that a, a city leader understand where the money is. Right. So it takes money. Um, some some of the changes in cities don't take a lot of money, especially in the social side of the uh, of the world. But it takes money to invest in new technology, to attract new talent. It takes money to you know get things done. It's very interesting that you said Malaga because I, one of the things I, cities I thought you might have chosen would be Barcelona because Barcelona has so improved its its international standing that I think people think Barcelona is the capital of Spain now. <laughs> but you know it does have a narrative. It does. You know it has the artwork, and from the moment you get into Barcelona, there's a, there is a narrative, and That's the same right. with Venice. That's right. I was surprised you didn't say Venice. <laughs> Well, Very I mean, one of my favorite cities still is Mumbai in India. Uh, the the disparity of incredible wealth and incredible, incredible poverty make that city uh, uh, difficult at times. But the the optimism of the people there, no matter their lot in life, is just a remarkable thing. Here's the statistic for you. Uh, Ten billion people will live in 
uh, on the planet in 2050. 8.6 billion of those people will live in cities. Right. So there is this mass of migration of people moving from agricultural areas in the world to cities. And the, the ability to handle that population growth in terms of climate change, in terms of infrastructure and access to infrastructure, in terms of getting around a city, the transport piece, the mobility that we talked about, in terms of energy and access to electricity and clean water and having food security. I mean, all of these things, especially in uh, the continent of Africa. I mean, these are huge challenges and we need to work on them uh, collectively, collaboratively. These cities are going to struggle to, uh, and you see it today in Cape Town, they have this huge water shortage. I'm going to talk to you about that. I mean, they have a shortage yeah. of, of water in China as well. I, I, yes. I, I mean, you would probably know, obviously, more than, than myself. I mean, what are the percentage of countries or people currently living on this planet that don't have clean water? 633 million people do not have access to clean I mean, water. I happen to know that number. I mean, that's an amazing number. It's an amazing statistic. number. And you know, in the developed world, we take these things for granted. We, we look at a light switch and we flip it on and the lights come on. Yeah. In most in most countries, they have uneven or unreliable access to the internet, access to electricity. I mean, you can't create a vibrant economy based on kerosene. You need access to electricity. You need access. You have to have clean water. You can't live without it. Yeah. So I think these things are foreign to so many of us that live in lives of abundance, yeah. which is most of the developed world. Uh, and I think the, the smarter cities, the smarter city leaders are understanding that um, we can't fix these problems alone. We, we need to work in huge collaboration. So do, do, when you take your message out, which I, from what I'm hearing, you care very passionately about it, do they share your passion or do you have to convince them that they need to be smarter about the way they organize their cities? I think there's a huge education process that is not occurring enough. Um, I'm working on a paper and a video right now called Rethinking, Reimagining Global Urbanization. Uh, it's, it's about asking the hard questions of city leaders and companies that are engaged in, in countries and city operations. Um, we're not doing enough to really figure out the difficult questions that need to be addressed to solve these difficult problems. We're sort of following traditional ways of procurement, traditional ways of uh, uh, investing in, in new technology. We need to think differently. Mm. And... The answer to your question is I don't think people are really, It's the, the issues are not really resonating. It's like, oh, it's going to happen in the future. It, it doesn't really affect me right yeah. now, right here. Mm. But it does. Well, you've worked for over 20 companies, in, in, which is quite a staggering statistic. <laughs> um, so people can work out your age by how many companies you work for. Um, but as you know, this show doesn't concentrate oh, on good. age. We're, we're, we're very, we're very in, into uh, women of experience. But 20, over 20 companies is a pretty impressive track record because most people work at a company for maybe 13, 15 years all their life. And then, right. so, I, so my two big questions for you are this. Why did you switch around so much? <laughs> 
And out of all those 20 companies, which was your most affirmative experience in terms of <laughs> happiness and yes. fulfillment? Yes. Uh, the reason I switched so much it was really circumstantial, I think. Uh, women of my generation, I think, sort of followed, uh, in my case, early on, I followed my husband's career to different places. Um, I was offered new jobs and decided to take them. You know, I, I um, have had friends tell me that I uh, often am like, getting on an airplane and building my wings in flight. You know, you just jump into it. And just an urban angel. An right. urban angel. <laughs> uh, you just, uh, you know, you, you get out of your comfort zone. And I, I've always been uh, doing that, whether it felt good or not. So I think that's why I've had so many jobs. But, but I have had a number of really great bosses and experiences. Um, uh, many years ago, I worked for Bell South, which is now an AT&T company, but I was at, in Atlanta working for Bell South during the 1996 Olympic Games. Uh, and it was such fun. And I wrote a book about being the first wireless games uh, ever. So that was really a fun experience and, uh, you know, really a learning experience about what the Olympic Games and how important it was for um, global community. Yeah. Uh, I also had a great job working at Nextel, which is also now, uh, I guess, Sprint. I worked for the founder of Nextel, Morgan O'Brien, and he was a fabulous boss, uh, very excited about each day what we were going to do. And it, it, it actually, at the time that I worked for Nextel was after, right after 9-11, and uh, our spectrum was interfering with public safety spectrum. So it was really a great way for me to meet all these city leaders and governors and uh, attorneys general, police chiefs, fire chiefs. So the, the job itself was fascinating, and um, having a great boss makes uh, a big difference, of course. A big difference, yeah. So, I mean, to, to say you're experienced in the world of business is probably an understatement. So, but have you noticed a big difference in how business is conducted over the decades? Yes, and I think I see examples of it every day, especially when I talk to young millennials and, and even Generation X people. There is no job security. I'm not sure it ever existed, frankly, but there certainly is no job security today. And the fact that so many young people are working as consultants uh, in the United States and around the world, I, they are, there is less certainty about their next promotion or the money they'll make or uh, what, what they would do in a new career. Uh, I think it's a much less certain kind of environment. And, and also, I think also in some ways more exciting and more fun and more challenging and every day as a new project or a new client. So it's different today. I have to ask you, of course, about the hashtag MeToo movement, um, yes. because it began, of course, uh, by revealing specific cases of sexual harassment. Mm -hmm. But it's certainly expanded now into a much broader movement. And, and from the, the professional women I speak to, they kind of there's this kind of defiance. It's like we've had enough mm -hmm. and get over it and we're not taking this anymore. <laughs> How do you believe it has impacted on women in the workplace and has it impacted on you at all? Yeah. Um, I, I have an ambivalence about it, to tell you the truth. Um, I am certainly, in when I was younger, experienced some, um, you know, some discrimination because I was a woman. In fact, I was one of only four women in my graduate school class, and I would sit in meetings where I was the only woman, and you know, sort of be patronized. It was more subtle for me, I think. Uh, but I am a big fan of, you know, really having had enough 
having had enough with uh, men discriminating against women and men uh, harassing them. I mean, th those things are have always been unacceptable. I think for my generation, there was sort of like a we'll just look away or we'll laugh about it or we won't we won't report it. And of course, those things are still going on today. So I'm I'm totally um, in awe of the women that have spoken up about this. Mm -hmm. I think they're they're very brave to do it and they're very smart to do it. And I think uh, the workplace has changed because of it. Yeah. I mean, what was it? Did you ever, were you ever sexually harassed? Did you ever have people say outrageous things that you had to ignore because you were in a, a not a very powerful position as you were? Yes. Becoming... yes. Well, I, I was never directly sexually harassed, but but I remember being in meetings where pe where men would apologize to me for saying foul language, as if I couldn't say my own set of foul words, <laughs> yeah. which I could. You know, I, I was like, well, why are they, why are they singling me out? As if I can't take it or something. So it was, it was always offensive. But I, again, I, um, I sort of went with the flow and and moved on from it. Mm. You know, I think women today really need to think about moving on from it. I, I was at a meeting a few weeks ago. Uh, it was a women's meeting. No men were invited, and it was really about women succeeding in the workplace. But for me, it's always been, you know, you have to work together. Uh, having these women's meetings that are so singular, uh, I'm not so sure that it's the right way to always look at things. Well, given that happiness, community, inclusivity, and presumably equality are, are big issues for you, what was what's your take on how you go about creating a, a more harmonious society or workplace? Yeah, well, two things come to mind immediately. One is more than inclusion. You know, we, we need to have a broader set of inclusive policies, but more than inclusion, we need to have a set of strategies around belongingness because it's one thing to say, uh, you know, we'll include you. It implies that I have the power to include you. More importantly, it's can I belong to a community? Can I have a sense of I'm contributing, I'm of value? So I think it's subtle, but I think it's very a very important semantic to, to consider that we need to create communities where people feel like they belong. I like this idea that by that by saying you're you're kind of giving permission. Yes, yes, it, it's very condescending. It's actually. condescending. There's a power dynamic there that's it's, that's it's a bit unhealthy. A bit unhealthy. The other part of that is equality. So people talk about equality all the time. It, the word today is equity. Equality implies that everyone's treated the same. Well, that's not good in a society where different people have different skills and different strengths and different needs. So we need to treat people equitably. And that means that you help their success by giving them what they need to be successful. And it's different for different people, different, Very interesting. different populations. So and you I, would and shy away from the word equality. You'd go for equity. Well, I think, I think to or be equitable. really fair, equality is not enough. You need to be equitable. So both words are important, but we need to keep mind. We need to be mindful of, again, the nuance of what's different. You strike me as a pretty happy person, and it, and and it's no surprise that you're trying to create happy spaces for people to live in in cities. But you had cancer a while back. You had a health scare a few years ago. Tell us about 
being sick and how it changed your outlook on life. Yes, well, Did it make you more happy? And you know? Yes, yes. Well, I, I don't recommend that anyone have cancer. But uh, for me, it was, um, I guess it was a period of a year where I, through the treatment, etc., I could continue to work. And afterwards, uh, afterwards, I was so grateful to be alive. And it definitely changed my life. It made me grateful every single day. It made me not sweat all the small stuff. It made me be less annoyed with little things like traffic jams. And it made me be very selective about who I spend my time with, what I do with my life, how I can have an impact. So having had this newfound appreciation for life, what, what, what do you think that we perhaps overlook about our lives on, on a daily basis? From your perspective, do you, do you, mm -hmm. do you kind of, because you know, when you observe other people, do you look at them and think, oh, I wish they kind of knew that that wasn't such a great choice yeah, right now. Yeah. Do you kind of, has it changed your overall view of how people behave? Yes, yes. No, I, I, I am around... Um, a lot of interesting people, a lot of successful people. I'm around um, people that are that are actually very thoughtful and, and innovative. And I think they're, as a group, we're we're too impatient. You know, oh. it's so hard to take a breath. It's so hard to pause and just relax and enjoy. You know, smell the roses, as they say. Yeah. And so I think. Mark Twain said, the very best thing about the English language is our ability to take a pause. Yeah, <laughs> I, like, I, like, I like that. Uh, but you yourself didn't pause when you had children. Uh, you carried on working. Yes. And now you have grandchildren. Yes. Um, how did becoming a grandmother change your Oh, life? my gosh. That is such a great question. Thank you for the question, Susan. I mean, I had no idea, no idea on earth how exciting it would be to have now just two grandchildren. My daughter, who lives in Italy, has two beautiful grandchildren. And it is such a gift that you, it's sort of like when you have children, it's wonderful, and they're everything. But then grandchildren are sort of a second phase of that wonder. And uh, my little grandson is speaking fluent Italian. And my little granddaughter is, I'm sure will, when she's old enough to start talking. and. Uh, so the, the whole, the whole um, environment of being a grandparent, and I have many friends now that have become grandparents, I think we're all like sharing this joy and wonder and, oh my gosh, he's talking or he's <laughs> walking now. It's, it's really an amazing thing. So what would Sandra Bear today have said to her younger self <laughs> if she had known with hindsight what was going to happen to her up to this point? <laughs> Well, uh, on the career side, I would have said, just like Sheryl Sandberg said, lean in. Uh, I remember taking many jobs, and the offer would be, well, we'd like you to do this work, and we'll pay you this amount of money, and I'd say, okay. So my advice, especially to, to me back then and to women today, is to learn how to negotiate, gain confidence to do it, and figure out you know, what your value is so that you can talk about it intelligently and, and say, well, I, you know, I think the, I should earn this amount of money because of these skills or these, this knowledge that I've got. Or, you know, be able to talk about your value. 
I, I don't think I was able to do that. I was just grateful to have a new job. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so yeah. women, younger women specifically, need to value themselves more. I think so. It's interesting. Think so. Yeah. You, you've had the opportunity to travel the world, obviously, with your, your work. Has it changed your worldview? Do you see us yes. as a global community now as, as a result of all your travels? Absolutely. And I really wish for everyone on the planet that they had the ability to travel. Because it's one thing to read about it or see it on television or hear about experiences, but until until you travel the world, it's very difficult to empathize with the differences in our cultures. I mean, there is so much that is similar and the same in some ways, but the differences, our ability to tolerate, for example, being in um, Damascus, Syria for a while, you learn that many of those women choose to have their head covered. It's not a repressive situation for them. Now, some, uh, there is repression among women in many of the Middle Eastern countries. But but in general, I think we need to respect their culture, how they were raised. It's okay for them to have a head cover. So, you know, and then when you look at some uh, other views from other countries, they say, oh, that's terrible. They must, they must hate that. You can't know it till you go there. You can't really project your own lens onto someone else's so lens. So accurate, yes. Yeah. So I kind of know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you, do you plan to retire? Oh, I said that <laughs> dirty word. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. I knew that was going to uh, yeah, be the answer. The word, uh, in fact, I was instructed by some uh, financial friends of mine that we're not using that word retirement anymore. And we haven't figured out the next right word, but it's something about, it's not also, it's not the next act or something. It's more uh, substantive than, than that. And it's just about continuing to live life to its fullest, continuing to meet new people, find new friends. I mean, at some age, way in the future, I hope, I won't be able to travel, but I'll still be able to communicate, engage, and listen, and learn, and keep going. All of us have different challenges in life. You know, all of us go through uh, difficult times. But again, it gets back to being grateful for just having a chance to have a new job or a new boss or a new experience. And so much of my work life has been travel, based around international travel and travel around the United States. And I, I'm, it's always been a joy for me. Uh, I have uh, many friends that say, oh, I can't believe you like to travel so much. Well, for me, it's sort of one of the reasons I worked. In the beginning, I just wanted somebody else to pay for my trip to Mumbai or Venezuela. So your big so. takeaway would be be tenacious, don't give up. Yes, don't give up. Keep on doing what you do and loving what you do. And if you don't love what you do, move on. Sandra, thank you so much. Oh, you certainly you, are a woman who has been there, done that. And thank you for talking to us. Thank you for listening to Been There, Done That with me, Susan Osman. Visit us on btdtshow.com for more interviews with dynamic women. And I'd love to hear from you as well. So please leave us a review and subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. These are words of respect. How can you tell when you're really young? And look how flaky it is. The girls weigh each portion of food they select. 
The Been There, Done That show is brought to you by Dan Hall at Pop Media Consultancy. We can still have a lot of fun, can't we? Your manners are showing. Ladies, would you each check the inside of your washer? To- Overweight makes an individual undesirable. Kind of a mess, wouldn't you, Mr. Strayer? Beautiful. And you think that's all that matters?